it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. It is Monday, the 16th of October. Let's begin together with a morning offering of St. Therese in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Oh my God, I offer thee all my actions of this day for the intentions and for the glory of the sacred heart of Jesus. I desire to sanctify every beat of my heart, my every thought, my simplest works, by uniting them to its infinite merits. And I wish to make reparation for my sins by casting them into the furnace of its merciful love. O oh my God, I ask of thee for myself and for those whom I hold dear, the grace to fulfill perfectly thy holy will, to accept for love of thee the joys and sorrows of this passing life, so that we may one day be united together in heaven for all eternity. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And since it's her feast today, St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis is running our video live stream, and you can check out the... Uh, the stream of that in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Kevin Schmeezing will be along. He'll take a look at This Week in Catholic History and uh, got a couple of fascinating ones this week. Uh, we'll also check in with Michael Gormley. He's been doing a rosary series uh, that are a great way to give you some visual aids to help you meditate on the mysteries as you pray. Father John Gavin will discuss St. Ignatius of Antioch and his role in the Catechism. Of course, St. Ignatius's feast day is this week also. And we get to look at the Pope's letter on St. Therese, which I've been very excited about and which is very good. So, Father Patrick Briscoe will unpack that. Right now, it is just a couple minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Pope Francis is appealing for peace again as the war continues between Israel and Hamas. The U.S. Secretary of State is expected to return to Tel Aviv today to continue a whirlwind diplomatic mission. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has already made stops in Egypt and Jordan to urge Arab nations to work together and keep the conflict from expanding. Speaking in Cairo, Blinken said he's making clear the U.S. stance with Israel while calling for additional aid to deal with the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis reiterated his call for peace in the Holy Land and around the world. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. He said he is following the situation in the Holy Land with much pain and is thinking in particular of the children and the elderly. I renew my call for the release of the hostages, the Pope said. And I strongly demand that children, the elderly, women and all civilians are not victims of the conflict. He also renewed his call for the respect of humanitarian law. 
Especially in Gaza, where he said there is an urgent need to guarantee humanitarian corridors and to rescue the entire population. Brothers and sisters, the Pope cried, so many have already died. Please do not spill any more innocent blood, neither in the Holy Land, nor in Ukraine, nor anywhere else. He said, enough. Wars are always a defeat. Always. Finally, Pope Francis invited all believers to join the Church in the Holy Land next Tuesday, the 17th of October, for a day of prayer and fasting for peace. Prayer is the meek and holy force to oppose the diabolical force of hatred, terrorism and war. I'm Linda Bordoni. Russian President Vladimir Putin will meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping in China this week. Moscow and Beijing say the visit is aimed at deepening the partnership between Washington's two biggest strategic competitors. Putin will attend China's Belt and Road Forum in Beijing on Tuesday and Wednesday. It will be his first trip out of Russia since the International Criminal Court issued a warrant for him in March over deporting Ukrainian children to Russia. In Washington, a vote for a new Speaker of the House is expected tomorrow at noon. House Democratic Whip Catherine Clark said the vote for Representative Jim Jordan will happen But it is still unclear if Jordan can gather enough votes to secure the position. While the GOP holds a slight majority in the House, only four votes can be sacrificed to win, with some Republicans firmly against the possibility of Jordan as the Speaker of the House. A second vote took place after Jordan secured the nomination on Friday, with the total coming up well short of the 217 needed. Meanwhile, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries says Democrats are willing to work with Republicans on a solution to the chaos surrounding the position of House Speaker. Trey Thomas reports. Jeffries said on NBC's Meet the Press that there have been informal conversations about a bipartisan governing coalition. It's time to end the Republican civil war so we can get back to doing the business of the American people. He said the House needs to vote on bills that have substantial support from both sides of the aisle. I'm Trey Thomas. Actress Suzanne Summers has died after a long battle with breast cancer. She gained instant fame in the mid-70s as Chrissy Snow on the ABC hit comedy Three's Company, went on to star in other sitcoms as well, such as Step by Step and She's the Sheriff. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2000. Summers died yesterday, just a day shy of her 77th birthday today. And Rangers starter Jordan Montgomery and the Texas bullpen shut down the reigning champion Astros for a 2 to nothing win in Game 1 of the ALCS at Minute Maid Park to lift the Rangers to a 1-0 series lead. Series continues with Game 2 in Houston tonight. In the National League, meanwhile, the Philadelphia Phillies will host the Arizona Diamondbacks for Game 1 of the NLCS at Citizens Bank Park tonight. Got a note uh, over the weekend from David Parker from Holy Spirit Radio. Oh, did you? I did. And he said? He said uh, something slightly unrelated, but also related. 
He said that the Pennsylvania March for Life will be Monday, October 16th in Harrisburg. Ooh. Pray for great weather and turnout. And then he went on to say, Phillies are on fire. Thanks for the Holy Spirit radio shout out. So. But if you well, are at least anywhere, he started with the more important things. If you're anywhere within the uh, the reach of Harrisburg, uh, check out information on the Pennsylvania March for Life today. We've been talking a lot about Ohio because that's one of the biggest ones yeah. on the ballot. But every state's got something going on. Yep, that requires your attention and prayers. And uh, even if there's nothing on the ballot, there's somebody in your community who could need some help. So check out your local pregnancy care centers and figure out how to help them anyway. I like it. Good call. Good call. Well, we thank you for joining us on this Monday, October 16th, the day for the Pennsylvania March for Life, but also the Feast of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. We'll get you more about her this morning as well. It's eight minutes past the hour. It is time to take a look at this week in Catholic history with Kevin Schmeising, author of A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Mary. All right, let's talk about something, uh, a shrine that you and I had not really been that familiar with until very recently and some history related to it. Yeah, that's true, Matt. Even though by the number of visitors, it's one of the most popular Catholic sites in the United States, the Shrine of Chimayo in uh, New Mexico. Its history goes back much further than 1929, but it was difficult to pin down the early dates. So I'm using the occasion of its being donated to the Archdiocese of Santa Fe, which was this week in 1929. The shrine has its roots in the Penitentes. This was an organization of lay Hispanic men that emerged in the early 19th century when many of the region's religious priests, Franciscans in particular, were withdrawn. So in the absence of priests, the Penitentes did good work handing on the faith and maintaining pious devotions, though they also at times tipped into excess of their penitential practices. According to popular tradition, on Good Friday in 1810, one of these penitentes had a vision involving a crucifix of our Lord of Escapulas. That's a devotion that originated in Guatemala, had spread throughout New Spain and into New Mexico. This vision led to the belief that this particular spot along the Santa Cruz River north of Santa Fe was holy, and a chapel should be built there to house the crucifix. The current church, which is a modest adobe building with twin bell towers, was built in 1816. Many miraculous healings have been reported, especially as a result of touching the soil beneath the church's floor. This is known as Chimayo's sacred earth, or less elegantly, holy dirt. The shrine remained in the possession of the Penitenti's family until the 1920s, at which point a group of Santa Fe benefactors arranged for it to be purchased and held in trust by the Archdiocese of Santa Fe. That arrangement was finalized this week, October 15, 1929. Thousands of pilgrims flock to the shrine, especially during Holy Week and especially on Good Friday. The Shrine of Chamayo came under the management of the Archdiocese of Santa Fe this week in 1929. Pretty cool. And we've also got, speaking of pretty cool, some World Cup history that overlaps with Catholic history. Jules Ramey was the founder of the World Cup, and he was a Catholic. His date of death is this week in 1956. He was born in 1873 and to a devout Catholic family in eastern France, became a successful lawyer, and in 1897 founded the Red Star Football Club. That would be soccer in the United States. It's one of the oldest teams in France. Ramey was inspired in part by Pope Leo XIII's social encyclical, Rerum Novarum, which came out in 1891. So Ramey viewed sports as a way to unify humanity within a nation to bring different classes of people together and on a larger scale as a way to bridge national divides as well. 
To that end, he participated in the formation of the International Federation of Association Football, FIFA, founded in 1904 in Remé's home city of Paris. After serving in World War I, Remé became president of the French Football Federation and then, in 1921, president of FIFA. He would be its longest-serving president, continuing until 1954, and during that span, the number of member nations rose from 12 to 85. In 1930, he oversaw the inaugural World Cup tournament held in Uruguay. The Champions Cup, as originally designed and awarded from 1930 to 1970, was known as the Jules Rimet Trophy. The World Cup has, of course, turned into the international phenomenon that we all witnessed last year. Whether it continues to fit Rimet's original vision exactly might be debatable. But for his efforts to promote international cooperation through sport, Rimet was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize in 1956. He died later that year. It was this week, October 16th. Pretty fascinating. And, <clears throat> pardon me. Pretty fascinating. Had not heard that little tidbit about World Cup history before. Kevin Schmeezing, thank you so much as always. We've got you linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a great day. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate your patience. I know some of you have a little froggy throats on a Monday morning, too. We'll get through it all together. Let's check on weather for the nation. A cool air mass will settle in across the eastern U.S. That'll bring rain showers from Tennessee to Maine. Likewise, a storm system and cold front will stall off the northwest coastline. Uh, steady rain will fall throughout the day with mixed precipitation likely in the highest elevations of Washington, Idaho, and Montana. Otherwise, areas of high pressure will dominate the rest of the U.S. where quiet and sunny conditions can be expected. We're back with headlines right after this. It's 13 minutes past the hour. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is. And put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity Health Share, 844-334-3245. Mystic Monk Coffee has brought back their pumpkin spice blend, and unlike the competition, buying their coffee has the added bonus of supporting the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming and the Sunrise Morning Show. Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click the Mystic Monk link to get that or any of their other coffee blends or teas. When you check out, we earn a commission. And there's no better vessel for your Mystic Monk pumpkin spice latte than a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug find those in our online store do pumpkin spice the catholic way just head on over to sonrisemorningshow.com ewtn offers the holy sacrifice of the mass live every morning at 8 eastern and provides you with daily readings to follow along and enrich your experience to be sure you don't miss out on the daily mass or to get access to previous recordings we can send a link to your email inbox every day it's easy Visit EWTN.com and click subscribe. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. It's a quarter past. Here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. 
A spokesperson for the Israel Defense Forces says Hamas is putting Palestinian civilians in Gaza in harm's way as war continues between Israel and Hamas. Pope Francis made another appeal for peace in the Holy Land during his Angelus address yesterday. He also called attention and prayed for the crisis in the Armenian region of Nagorno-Karabakh news at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the sunrise morning show and Ann Mitchell just an update from my own parish I know you uh you you know had uh, a little burr in your shoe heading into the weekend about how people had the option of reading the shorter gospel shorter or the gospel, longer gospel yeah. the longer gospel being the one with the uh, guy who got invited in to the banquet and then getting thrown out for not having his garment that is actually uh what my pastor preached on yeah so that little segment. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Yes. Um, that is also, I was at a parish visit for our radio station here in Cincinnati. So I was visiting Northern Kentucky, the parish of St. Anthony. Some famous parishioners, well, at least between you and me, famous right. parishioners. People we know. Yes, exactly. So I was. I got some pictures with some folks that I'm looking forward to texting to you once I get my hands on them. Uh, to make you jealous because you're going to the Catholic Radio Conference, and I'm going to be jealous all yes, week. Yes, I'm so leaving for the Catholic Radio Conference tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> but uh, also the pastor at St. Anthony's in uh, in northern Kentucky. Who's pastoring over there right now? His name is Father Ivan. He's from okay. Uganda. And Ooh, cool. um, so he was talking about keeping your baptismal garment clean, um, which— That's essentially the homily that we got. It yeah. was a homily against once saved, always saved. Well, it's great because um, I don't know if you recall Father Hezekiah when he was reflecting on this gospel passage on Friday on the show, talked about how in the early times, the times of Jesus, um, the, the groom was the one who provided the wedding clothes. So it wasn't like this guy needed to go out and go shopping and find some wedding clothes. No, 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 no. They were given to him, and he still showed up without them. So this uh, being a great um, example of the spiritual life that we have as Christians in that we are given our baptismal garment to us. And so it's our job to be wearing that baptismal garment and and keeping it clean Um all throughout our lives, as we are invited to the feast. What are you? So, what are you doing? I saw you get up and. Oh, I got up and ran over. I, I made the mistake, and this is what you now know because the Sunrise Morning Show has a video feed. Is that sometimes Annie will say something, and I'll be like, "That reminds I need me my of a Bible, Bible passage." Well, you but know what? I Bible keep my Bible across the room. My Bible is right next to me, Matt. Yes. Well, I chucked my headphones and like ran across the room <laughs> to get my Bible. At least while it's you were in talking. the room. You didn't have to run out of the room. So. Uh, you know, part of this idea of, you know, well, there, there are multiple layers, but of, of keeping your baptismal garment clean and also not resting on the idea that, uh, well, in the case of, uh, well, there are multiple layers of who Jesus is talking about is the uh, originally invited ones, yeah. right? Uh, those who are circumcised, and uh, that would be the old covenant, but mm-hmm. also it applies to those who are baptized, who think that they're better and cooler and don't have to do anything because they're already baptized and they're good to go. Mm-hmm. So there's this interesting passage that I never read this way until I was Catholic. When I Okay, so before I read this passage, I'll just tell you, when I first read this, I thought there are all kinds of things that happen in Israel's history, and they messed them up 
don't you uh, you know be the kind of person who messes up um, after you've uh, made a commitment to Christ because you know the Israelites you know they were God's people and even they failed and got punished for it. Yep. But here's what it actually says in First Corinthians nine, uh, or I'm sorry, First Corinthians ten, beginning. Uh, well, we'll start with verse one. Paul says. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and so on and so forth. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as some as some of them did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he goes on to say some other stuff about eating and drinking. Paul is saying, and I never this never clicked to me because it didn't come from a sacramental worldview. He said, you were baptized. Just like these people were baptized into Moses, you were baptized into Christ. Mm-hmm. These people had a spiritual food. You have a spiritual food and mm-hmm. drink. You have the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Don't take that for granted. Yeah. So there you go. It's 21 past. You listen to the Sunrise Morning Show? Well, imagine promoting your business right here to other listeners of the Sunrise Morning Show. You'll reach like-minded folk across the nation on over 300 radio stations, each of those stations with thousands and thousands of listeners, not to mention all the people who listen on Sirius Satellite and our online app. Find out more about national underwriting of the Sunrise Morning Show by emailing me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com, L-E-A-H, at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. Some figures in the Bible remain a mystery to us. Such a figure is Elihu from the book of Job. He suddenly speaks up after all others have chosen to remain silent. Some wonder if he makes any real contribution to the book of Job at all. On the other hand, he may make a real contribution to Job's story and bring Job around. After all, it's after Elihu's address to Job that God appears to Job. The rabbis seem to have had a very high opinion of Elihu. At one point in his address to Job, Elihu announces that his knowledge is a gift from God. The rabbis held the opinion that if Elihu said this on his own, he was worthy of praise. They also said that if Elihu said this through the Spirit of God, he was worthy of the highest praise. Once again, perhaps the literature wants us to ponder this character of Elihu, and we can ask ourselves, what are we doing for God that makes us worthy of praise? For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Michael Gormley, Mission Evangelist for Paradisus Dei. Michael, good morning. Oh, good morning. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Of course, October is the month dedicated to Our Lady of the Rosary, and so a lot of people who are Already, rosary prayers are trying to kind of ramp up that emphasis, and I hope that some of them have come across your Mysteries of the Rosary series, because it's really cool. You've just released the Joyful Mysteries, but if you could, uh, start by letting people know what this whole series is about. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
that man is you is a, a international men's organization helping in uh, good, solid, authentic Catholic faith formation for men. And what they do is every Lent, they come up with the, uh, an amazing Lenten journey. And a few years ago, Mark Hartfield got this idea, what if we did a deep dive into the mysteries of the rosary, and it being Lent, he wanted to start with the sorrowful mysteries. So he teamed up with uh, 4PM Media, and they flew to the Holy Land with the idea of, what if we captured the mysteries of the rosary at the actual sites where those mysteries took place? And uh, so Mark goes around, and then he, and he interviews people here in the States, and uh, you know, to talk about the power of the rosary and, the, and rosary devotional stuff uh, in, in our own lives and whatnot. But it, it's incredible when you see, you know, you're, um, you know, you're at the Holy Sepulcher and you're seeing where these events take place. Or you're, uh, you know, you have this beautiful backdrop. And then their planning for this year was, let's get the rosary, the joyful mysteries of the rosary out there um, in time for Advent. you got to release it a little earlier so parishes can plan to have, you know, uh, studies and whatnot and, and get groups of people together. And uh, so the goal was let's release it on October 7th. Let's have it here for the, the month of the rosary and just let people see the joyful mysteries where they actually took place in the Holy Land. Well, the joyful mysteries, you've got the Annunciation, the Visitation, and the Nativity, right, uh, which are all kind of Adventy and Christmassy things. But turns out that uh, most of us pray that set of mysteries every week. So it's going to work. Uh, you know, yeah. we don't have to wait till Advent to dive right into these. But, you know, I came from an evangelical background, and one of the things that I was trying to figure out on my way into the church, and, and I was fascinated by the rosary, but I didn't know how to do it. It's like kind of trying to chew gum and climb stairs at the same time. Like, how do I, uh, how do I meditate on this thing while I'm saying these things over here? And I found that having imagery, right, having sacred art uh, was a huge help for me. So I'm imagining that for some people who maybe don't know how to, you know, kind of say the words of the Hail Marys and the Our Fathers while also thinking and meditating upon the mysteries, that this would be a huge help to them. Yeah. One of the things that's amazing with, with Mark, who went on location and filmed all this, he has such, uh, I mean, he's like a Dominican with his zeal for the rosary, and uh, he, I mean, he loves it. Every day he's constantly encouraging all of us at, at Paradisus Day to, to be praying and all this. But one of the things that he gets is people need help engaging in deeper forms of prayer. You know, where, where does the average Catholic, you know, where are they being instructed uh, on how to engage in mental prayer and, and how to you know, boost up their vocal prayer and whatnot. And so the use of these images, and they're beautiful, they're stunning. I went to the Holy Land in October, and watching this series, I'm like right back there. Um, he does this in such a way that the views become meditative, right? You don't feel like a tourist. You feel like a pilgrim. And honestly, like for me, growing up Catholic, right, I prayed the rosary all the time with my family, but we prayed the scriptural rosary, so the images of the story of what I was supposed to be meditating on was always in front of me. And to have, uh, to have these beautiful visuals, just like you said, it helps to focus the mind, it helps to train the mind on these images, so that when you're not watching the actual show, you can still picture these holy sites and keep them in your head. Well, therosaryseries.com is where you can find this. Again, therosaryseries.com. And I wish we had more time than we do, but if you could, pick a mystery— and uh, 
that's one of maybe your favorites in, in the way that it came out, and let us know kind of what happens in that mystery in your series. Yeah, you know, my favorite mystery uh, has to be the Annunciation, right? The very first one, because uh, whenever I went to the Holy Land, I fell in love with all the excavations, not so much the churches that were built by the Franciscans in the uh, you know 1930s to 1950s throughout the Holy Land to commemorate these sites, but like all the all the excavations that they have, all of these historical dig sites that are there, and one of them that struck me was Mary's house. And this big, beautiful church built over it. But Mark was given access to sit in front of where her house is and to have it as the backdrop while he's explaining the Annunciation. And, you know, with all the, with all the, uh, the war going on and the violence in the Holy Land right now, um, and I have friends who are over there. I have friends who are about to go on, uh, on this past Monday. And so uh, there's so much, like, <laughs> that I'm afraid of for these holy sites and, and obviously for the people there. Um, but to, to see Mary's house while you're praying the Annunciation, that the Archangel Gabriel came to her here, it makes it not—it doesn't just make it, like, visually stunning. It makes it absolutely real, right? It, it's, it feels historical when you're saying those Hail Marys and you're looking at this image— of, of this excavated house, you know? So for me, that was the most powerful. Well, that is great. And, you know, as you mentioned, the conflict going on uh, in Israel and uh, with everything that happens in the news, just horrific image after horrific image, what's one of the main reasons that Mary tells us to pray the rosary? It's for peace, right? It's for world peace. Yeah. So praying that not just for peace in general, but peace specifically in the places where these events happened. So, uh, Michael Gormley, we've got the rosarymysteries.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. You can view some really cool stuff over there. Thanks for helping to put this together, and hopefully we'll talk to you again as you make more mysteries. All righty. God bless. I misspoke there. It's the rosaryseries.com. The rosaryseries.com. It's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Pope Francis is appealing again for humanitarian corridors in Gaza as Israel moves close to invading the Palestinian enclave. During his Angelus address yesterday, the Pope asked that children, the sick, women, and all civilians not be victims of the war between Israel and the Palestinian militant group Hamas. The Holy Father repeated his call for Hamas to release the hostages its fighters have captured when they attacked Israel eight days ago. Meanwhile, a spokesperson for the Israel Defense Forces says Hamas is putting Palestinian civilians in Gaza in harm's way. More from Mark Mayfield. Speaking on ABC's This Week, IDF Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner said Hamas has set up checkpoints to keep Palestinians who are in northern Gaza from evacuating to the south. Israel ordered those in the north to evacuate as the IDF prepares for an expected ground attack. Lerner said Hamas has no regard for human life, regardless if it's Israeli or Palestinian lives. I'm Mark Mayfield. Also during his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis prayed for the crisis in the Ar- in Armenia's region of Nagorno-Karabakh, also known as Artsakh. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. In addition to the humanitarian situation of the displaced, which is serious, 
Pope Francis said he would also like to make a special appeal for the protection of the monasteries and places of worship in the region. And he expressed his hope that they can be respected and protected as part of the local culture, expressions of faith and signs of fraternity that make it possible to live together despite differences. Pope Francis's appeal to Azerbaijan to protect houses of worship in Nagorno-Karabakh comes as Russia has urged new peace talks. But Armenian refugees are reluctant to return to an area they called home for generations. I'm Linda Bordoni. A vote for the new Speaker of the House is expected tomorrow at noon. House Democratic Whip Catherine Clark said the vote for Representative Jim Jordan will happen, but it is still unclear if Jordan can gather enough votes from his own party to secure the position. While the GOP holds a slight majority in the House, only four votes can be sacrificed to win the Speaker's gavel, with some Republicans saying they are firmly against Jordan. A second vote took place after Jordan secured the nomination on Friday, with the total coming up well short of the 217 needed. Meanwhile, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries says Democrats are willing to work with Republicans on a solution to the chaos surrounding the position of Speaker of the House. Trey Thomas has more. Jeffrey said on NBC's Meet the Press that there have been informal conversations about a bipartisan governing coalition. It's time to end the Republican civil war so we can get back to doing the business of the American people. He said the House needs to vote on bills that have substantial support from both sides of the aisle. I'm Trey Thomas. Those who lost loved ones in the Parkland, Florida school shooting believe some good will come from visiting the scene of the tragedy. About 200 people walked through the 1200 building at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School one last time on Saturday before it's demolished next summer. The mass shooting left 17 dead and another 17 injured in February of 2018. Pope Francis yesterday released his apostolic letter to commemorate the 150th anniversary of the birth of St. Therese, entitled C'est la confiance. The title came from a quote from the Carmelite doctor of the church. She said, it is confidence and nothing but confidence that must lead us to love. The Holy Father said, these striking words of St. Therese of the child Jesus and the Holy Face say it all. They sum up the genius of her spirituality and would suffice to justify the fact that she has been named a doctor of the church. The Holy Father last week penned a letter honoring the memory of his predecessor, Pope Pius VII, to mark the 200th anniversary of his death this year. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past the hour. You listen to the Sunrise Morning Show? Well, imagine promoting your business right here to other listeners of the Sunrise Morning Show. You'll reach like-minded folk across the nation on over 300 radio stations, each of those stations with thousands and thousands of listeners, not to mention all the people who listen on Sirius Satellite and our online app. Find out more about national underwriting of the Sunrise Morning Show by emailing me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com, L-E-A-H, at sacredheartradio.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. A meditation and reflection of St. John Vianney. The Christian's treasure is not on earth, but in heaven. Our thoughts, then, ought to be directed to where our treasure is. This is the glorious duty of man, to pray and to love. Prayer is nothing else but union with God. In this intimate union, God and the soul are fused together like two bits of wax that no one can ever pull apart. Prayer never leaves us without sweetness. It is honey that flows into the soul and makes all things sweet. When we pray properly, sorrows disappear like snow before the sun. How often we come to church with no idea of what to do or what to ask for. And yet, whenever we go to any human being, we know well enough why we go. I often think that when we come to adore the Lord, we would receive everything we ask for if we would ask with living faith and with a pure heart. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Mark Watkins. The Sunrise Morning Show continues on this Monday, October the 16th. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father John Gavin, who is the author of Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer and has been going through uh, the catechism with us to look at the various places the Church Fathers are quoted. Father Gavin, good morning. Good morning. I'm so glad we get to talk about St. Ignatius of Antioch today. His Mm. feast falls right smack dab in the middle of the month of October, and he's got a lot to say uh, about all kinds of things in the early church. But uh, we're talking about him and specifically the reference to what the Catholic Church means by the word Catholic. So give us the context of where he shows up, and then let us know what he says. Sure. So at this point in the Catechism, we've been looking at the notes of the Church— the marks of the Church, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. So we've arrived at the point of Catholic. And the section in the Catechism where he is quoted here, uh, it is talking about what do we mean by Catholic. And the word comes from the Greek. It means, uh, as the Catechism rightly says, universal, or according to totality, or in keeping with the whole. And this section talks about how The Church is Catholic in that sense, first and foremost, because Christ is present in her, and the gifts that the Church receives from Christ, namely the confession of faith, the sacramental life, and the apostolic succession. But then the second sense, stemming from those things, is with those gifts that the Church receives from Christ's presence in her, the Church is also universal because the Church is is sent on mission. Uh, The Church is sent out to bring all to Christ and to share these gifts with the world in all times and in all places. And so Ignatius of Antioch, St. Ignatius of Antioch, is quoted here for one uh, very famous line, uh, I can say more about it in a moment, but where there is Christ Jesus, there is the Catholic Church. All right, now that is a compelling enough line as it is, but... As you know, Father Gavin, over the Coming Home Network, I work with a lot of people from other Christian traditions who are exploring the Catholic faith, 
And one mm. of the things that happens to them is they go back as far as they can and start reading some of these early church sources, and they find people like St. Ignatius saying things that don't sound like what they're saying at their uh, community megachurch, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> they're sounding mm-hmm, something, mm-hmm. finding some things that sound a little bit deeper. And especially that little quote you made from St. Ignatius, if you get it in context, it has some serious right. implications. Right, exactly. So it, it comes from his uh, letter to the Smyrnians. We should say uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch, uh, was was martyred sometime at the beginning of the second century, and tradition tells us that he was either disciple of uh, John or Peter. So he's someone with direct contact with the apostles. We have a series of letters that he wrote while he was being transported to Rome to be martyred, and so this comes from his letter to the people of Smyrna, which is a uh, coastal city in Greece, and it's where. Uh, St. Polycarp was a uh, bishop. We also have a letter to Polycarp as well. But you're right, when we go to the context from which this line comes, it is a paragraph, uh, and I'll, I can read a little of it right here, uh, where this comes up. He says, um, he's talking about the universality and unity of the Church, associated especially with the bishops, the apostolic succession, the Eucharist, and baptism. And he says, wherever the bishops all appear, there let the multitude of the people also be. Even as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. It is not lawful without the bishop either to baptize or, we can say, to celebrate the Eucharist, the agape. Uh, So the points of union, uh, the gifts of the Church that are received through Christ, uh, become the, the the point of union and universality of the Church. So it's a very—we uh, can take that paragraph apart even more. Yeah, there is a lot in there. I mean, because to say what the, that the Church is Catholic is to, to, to beg the question, well, what do we mean by Catholic, and how does it stay mm-hmm. Catholic? And Ignatius essentially kind of tells you how, right? Because there is this lifeline mm-hmm. of hands that have, you know, touched— you know, people all the way down to the present day. Everyone you meet who is a legitimate bishop mm-hmm. has a like a, a real live sacramental connection back back to Christ Himself. Um, I mm-hmm. mean, this is a powerful way for us to understand, uh, you know, what the church is and how it operates. It's not just a bunch of people who all agree on a bunch of ideas. There's something like mm-hmm. really deep and tangible here. Exactly, and it, it, we can find it here. In the figure of, of Ignatius himself, I mean, if you know, if he, you know, directly con, uh, direct contact with the apostles, uh, and then in turn, what he brings forward here, we can see all the elements that are stated in this one paragraph. It's stated in the in the Catechism, the sacraments, the handing on the traditio of the the teaching of Christ, and uh, the apostolic succession itself, uh, so that. Even in this paragraph, he says, uh, see that you follow the bishop even as Jesus Christ does the Father. I mean, he, he sets up always the model of, we can see, the Trinity itself. Uh, as the Father, Son, and Spirit are one, so the Church should be reflecting that in her unity, uh, in all the various elements that are given to the Church for that unity in Christ. So it's a very powerful image, in, both in his figure and also what he preaches and says. 
Well, it also helps you understand the gift his martyrdom is to the whole church. It's not just a really mm-hmm. fascinating and powerful powerful testimony to the people who are watching it, right? It is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's not just a powerful testimony to the people who were in charge, who were entrusted to his care, right? He with whom he mm-hmm. was charged uh, to teach. It's something that is because it was a, a person connected with the entire body of Christ, and the entire body of Christ is connected through this sort of sacramental, sort of like nerve system. It has an impact on the whole body down to the present day, and that's another aspect of this idea of what it means to be universal that I think is sometimes mm-hmm. hard for us to get our minds around. Like we can, we can understand how the people who know about you know our situation would be affected by our situation. But until you have that, it's hard to understand, like, why would my sin, which I think would only affect me, like, why would I affect the whole body? Well, mm-hmm. Father, if I, you know, whack you on the toe with a hammer, you're not going to say, well, that's an unfortunate thing for my toe. You know, mm-hmm. I hope my toe has a better experience next time. You're going to be like, ow, you hit me, right? <laughs> There's like right. this much deeper sense of what the Church is, this universal sense. Right. No. And, and again, when we—that's—that's uh, that's a great image. When we go to Saint Ignatius, uh, as I said, we have a whole—we have seven letters that survive from him, and it's to all these different churches: the Ephesians, the Magnesians, the Trallians, the Romans, the Philadelphians, Smyrnians. I mean, when you look at this, uh, we can see that though he is specifically associated with Antioch, he is fully united with all these different churches. And his martyrdom and the witness that he uh, gives in his martyrdom will reach out to them all and beyond. And, of course, not just to that time, but for all times. So that the body of Christ, uh, what we see in the, uh, again, in the sacraments, in the unity, in the apostolic succession, and the unity of teaching, uh, the continuity there that unites us also, every member, uh, we are affected by what happens to every member, every community in the life of the Church. Yeah, even those hidden martyrdoms happening in places like Nicaragua and Mm -hmm. Nigeria and uh, the Palestinian Christians right now who are suffering, whose names and faces we don't know, in some mysterious way, because they are part of the same body of Christ that we are, um, their suffering is a suffering that uh, affects the whole body, right? The the charity, Mm -hmm. the small little way that you follow the gospel, as St. Therese would say, in a hidden way still builds up that same body because of the universal nature here. There's a lot to lot to meditate on here, Father John Gavin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got your book linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you so much as always. Have a wonderful day. Thank you and God bless. All right, we're back right after this. It's 14 minutes before the hour. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. 
They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people, now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Daily Dose of Encouragement, hosted by Patty Schneier, provides insightful and inspirational thoughts by bringing spiritual insights to everyday living. You can hear Daily Dose of Encouragement as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTNRadio.net slash podcasts today. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Jimmy Akins here for two hours of open forum. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 11 till... Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Patrick Mary Briscoe. He is editor of our Sunday Visitor. Good morning, Father. Good morning. Great to be with you. It is great to have you, and I'm excited to talk to you about this. So Pope Francis has just released his apostolic exhortation that he promised a few weeks ago commemorating the life and witness of St. Therese. So to kick off our conversation, Father how would you sum up what Pope Francis had to say about her? Uh, how would I sum it up? I mean, St. <laughs> Therese is great, and the Pope thinks she's great, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He really, the reason, yeah. No, I mean, the reason I'm, I'm stuttering a bit, Anna, is because he takes all of her themes, and the whole letter is really an introduction to Theresean spirituality. Mm-hmm. So it's a kind of... Uh, it's a kind of um, summary of her greatest hits, I would say. I honestly think that this is kind of his attempt to sum up Bergolian uh, spirituality as well, Father. I mean, when I started reading through this, I, I messaged Matt Swaim and I said, I think Pope Francis is trying to sum up the the whole point of of what he's trying to do as Pope, you know, everybody seems to fear about him that he's going to change the church's moral teaching. And 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 so I see in what he is saying about Therese something that he's trying to say about himself. Would you agree? I think that's I think that's probably right. Um I mean I think that the the Holy Father's devotion is genuine. We know we know that it's not a publicity son, so that would be a that would be a misinterpretation. Sure. And yeah. I know you're not saying that. Um, so, so I think that that what we have here is an attempt to say no, no. This is this is what I, as a disciple, believe. I mean, it's very interesting when when he released the letter, for example. Um, you know, he didn't do it on any of the the possible recent anniversaries for Therese. Mm-hmm. So she's it's yeah. I was wondering if he got the wrong Teresa. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, he released it yesterday on Teresa Vavla, and so so he he dropped the letter in an interesting time. And an interesting time, you know, so that it wouldn't overshadow 
uh, celebrations of St. Therese, essentially, um, which which I think is kind of interesting in and of itself, right? Yeah. Can you talk? He says it's publication on the liturgical memorial of St. Teresa of Avila is a way of presenting St. Therese of the Child Jesus in the Holy Face as the mature fruit of the reform of the Carmel and of the spirituality of the great Spanish saint. It's a it's an amazing way of just saying Therese was a disciple of Teresa. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think I think what the what the Holy Father is um trying to show there in a gentle way is that um that the Carmel reform developed, you know, it began with Teresa of Avila but became the source of the sanctity of Therese of Lisieux. Yeah. And and I think the Holy Father likes watching those kinds of changes in, in the spiritual tradition, likes watching those kinds of developments downstream. Um, so it's important to him to point out that link and even emphasize it. Well, talk about the title that he uses here, C'est la confiance. What is, what is this quote from, from St. Therese that, that he uses for this apostolic exhortation? Good. So like, like typical um, papal documents, the name of the document, C'est la confiance, comes from the first lines. Um, I don't know if we've had a document with a French title before. I know. Actually. Officially, that'll that'll be an interesting question. I'll have to research that. Um, but uh, but the the first line here, c'est la confiance et rien que la confiance qui doit nous conduire à l'amour. It's confidence and nothing but confidence that must lead us to love. Mm-hmm. Um, this beautiful quote from Therese. So so we might say, you know, if we're looking for one big theme, and um, we might start with that and say that what Pope Francis is most most concerned that the people here is trust in the mercy of God, um, or as St. Therese has confidence that leads us to love. Yeah. The center of Christian morality, he writes, is charity as our response to the unconditional love of the Trinity. Consequently, works of love directed towards one's neighbor are the most perfect manifestation of the interior grace of the Spirit. In the end, he says, only love counts. The specific contribution that Therese offers us as a saint and doctor of the church is not analytical along the lines, for example, of St. Thomas Aquinas. I had to, I have to put this in here to get your reaction, Father. Her contribution is more synthetic, for her genius consists in leading us to what is central, essential, and indispensable. What do you think about that? Uh, first of all, I think he's correct. Yeah. Um, which which uh, which uh, might startle some, you know, dis- 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 despite the comment there on St. Thomas, who was known for his abundant charity among his converts. Absolutely. Um, but uh, but but I think that there's I I think that there's a great there's a there's a great doubt in in the power of love. You know, even when we we talk about it to our ears, it sounds like a a kind of proposal for a hippie commune of yeah. the power of love. <laughs> um, and what what love can do in our lives, um, but but love was the was the very vocation of Saint Therese, right? The Holy Father quotes in the document um, where during her meditations on Saint Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Therese realizes that that uh, that it's her vocation to express love 
in uh, in a particular way. Um, and so, so I think that there, there's been nothing like that in the Church before or since. Mm. Yeah, that's such a beautiful point. I was really struck by um, the reflection on her confidence in the merciful love of God. Pope Francis tells the story of, of her prayers for a man who, um, who was sentenced to death for triple homicide, who did, not, um, who did not show any signs of repentance until those final moments. And, this, and, and, and Therese looks at this man and, and has even greater confidence in the mercy of God. Yes, absolutely. Her great, her great prayers for Pranzini, um, the 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 famous um, the famous sign that she received was that he kissed the crucifix right mm-hmm. just before his death, mm-hmm. which Therese saw as confirmation uh, for her prayers. I mean, there are others that uh, that Therese prayed for, including a. To the end, including a priest who had been in several different religious institutes and ended up dying, um, sadly ex- excommunicated. Yeah. Um, but Therese refused to uh, refused to give up on on this very this very public um, this very public priest um, who had abandoned the faith. And there was a way that she she identified. Father, sorry, I got to cut you off. We're running out of time here. Go read the letter, everyone. We got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up next. Continue on this Monday, the 16th of October. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Today we hear your voice, O Lord. You have spoken to us through your prophets. Teach us to hear and heed your word. You have spoken to us through your Son and word. Teach us to hear and love your word. You have spoken to us through the teachers of your church. Teach us to hear and keep your word. O God, you have spoken your word of love, your Son, into our world's deafness. Open our ears to hear. Open our hearts to heed. Open our will to obey that we may proclaim the good news with our lives. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And since it is her feast today, St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, pray for us. Also, St. Gerard Magella, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being along on a Monday. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has our video feed up and running, and you can view that through the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. We will be checking in with Teresa Tamio from EWTN and Ave Maria Radio's Catholic Connection. She just had an onomastico over the weekend. I'm going to ask her about it. Father Boniface Hicks will uh, discuss charismatic prayer and our ongoing series on his book, Personal Prayer, a Guide to Receiving the Father's Love. Uh, Ken Craycraft has some thoughts on some of the confusing language that is at play in Ohio's Issue 1. It's causing a lot of misinformation, disinformation, and uh, really 
overt attempts to confuse. Stephanie Mann is going to be along as well. She's going to talk about another confessor in English history. This would be Cardinal William Allen. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Pope Francis is appealing for humanitarian corridors in Gaza as fighting continues between Israeli Defense Forces and the Palestinian militant organization Hamas. Secretary of State Antony Blinken arrived in Tel Aviv this morning after a weekend of meetings with leaders in the region. He's expected to meet with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his newly formed war cabinet on his second visit to the country within just a few days. It comes as Israel is said to be readying for a major offensive from the land, air and sea against Hamas targets in Gaza a little over a week after militants carried out the attack that led to Israel's declaration of war. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis reiterated his call for peace in the Holy Land and around the world. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. He said he is following the situation in the Holy Land with much pain and is thinking in particular of the children and the elderly. I renew my call for the release of the hostages, the Pope said. And I strongly demand that children, the elderly, women and all civilians are not victims of the conflict. He also renewed his call for the respect of humanitarian law, especially in Gaza, where he said there is an urgent need to guarantee humanitarian corridors and to rescue the entire population. Brothers and sisters, the Pope cried, so many have already died. Please do not spill any more innocent blood, neither in the Holy Land nor in Ukraine, nor anywhere else. He said, enough. Wars are always a defeat. Always. Finally, Pope Francis invited all believers to join the Church in the Holy Land next Tuesday, the 17th of October, for a day of prayer and fasting for peace. Prayer is the meek and holy force to oppose the diabolical force of hatred, terrorism and war. I'm Linda Bordoni. Catholic Relief Services has echoed the Pope's call for immediate humanitarian access in Gaza. CRS released a statement saying, quote, We are alarmed at the humanitarian crisis that is unfolding in Gaza. Nearly one million people, almost half the population, are at risk of displacement following an order for people to evacuate the northern part of Gaza. Prior to the order, they say more than 400,000 Palestinians were already displaced. Many who are sick, disabled, injured, or otherwise vulnerable are unable to comply with this order. They go on to say Catholic Relief Services is calling for immediate humanitarian access before a dire humanitarian situation becomes a catastrophe. Civilians in Gaza are entitled to safety and protection whether in the north or south. We also urge international stakeholders to work towards a ceasefire and an end to the violence that has killed more than 3,000 people, end quote. In Washington, a vote for the new Speaker of the House is expected tomorrow at noon. House Democratic Whip Catherine Clark said 
The vote for Representative Jim Jordan will happen, but it is still unclear if Jordan will gather enough votes from his own party to secure the position. While the GOP holds a slight majority in the House, only four votes can be sacrificed to win, and some Republicans have said they are firmly against Jordan. Pope Francis yesterday released his apostolic letter to commemorate the 150th anniversary of the birth of St. Therese, entitled C'est la Confiance. The title came from a quote from the Carmelite doctor of the church who said, it is confidence and nothing but confidence that must lead us to love. And the Holy Father last week penned a letter honoring the memory of his predecessor, Pope Pius VII, to mark the 200th anniversary of his death this year. Vatican News reports the main theme of the letter was to highlight Pius VII's competence and prudence with Napoleon, saying, quote, he did everything he could to not fail in his mission as guardian and guide of the flock, saying he did so according to the spirit of the Beatitudes, which says that peacemakers are children of God, end quote. Interesting. I know. I learned about Pius Seventh in Catholic political thought, my Catholic political thought course. Oh, with uh, um, Dr. Just a couple of Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago. That's not one of those Pius things that really registers seventh. with you if you went to public school and then later you learn about it. You're like, how come I didn't – this didn't click with me that Napoleon kidnapped the pope? Oh, my God. Well, that was Pius VI, yes. I believe. Was, but Pius yeah, but... Seventh was – well – He got them both, wait, didn't which, he? He got them both, really. Pius VI was like the tail end of the French Revolution and then you have Napoleon and it's like, woo. The, it was a wild time. It was a wild time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you think that we are living in wild times now, like, this was a wild time. It was a very wild time. So, anyway. Well, there you have it. You know, so uh, I'm a little bit bummed we were not able to get Teresa Tamio on the yeah, line Yeah, I think today. she's – so she told me I, – I haven't heard back. I tried to text her. She asked me to text her before, um, before her segment to see if she was out of mass yet. So I hope Paul didn't call her more than once he during didn't. during mass. He's like, eh. he might have twice. He called her twice. He okay, twice. that's fair. That's fair enough. Anyway, so, so she's at mass with Kelly Walquist and a bunch of and a bunch of pilgrims right now. A bunch of Catholic so. women folk. Maybe the homily went long today. Maybe it did. You know, so what I was going to ask her about is that it got overshadowed by the. Uh, the Sunday mm-hmm. and all the stuff going on with the Sunday. But yesterday was the feast of, well, there's two big Teresas in the month of October. Mm-hmm. Of course, we've been talking about St. Therese because the Holy Father uh, released the apostolic letter on her. And she is on October 1st. But October 15th is the saint after whom St. Therese is named, yep. Teresa of Avila. And, of course, Teresa Tamio shares a name there. I know that's one of Teresa's favorites. Well, of course. Both Teresa of Avila and Teresa of Lisieux are doctors of the church. There's so many great quotes from St. Teresa of Avila. I mean, there's there's an overarching spirituality of reform and of, uh, one might call it a v- abandonment to divine providence, to use mm-hmm. kind of an anachronistic term, but also radical trust in God, mm-hmm. uh, divine intimacy, mm-hmm. uh, this idea of letting God you know, see your innermost parts and how like sometimes being a person of prayer means some like dark spaces along the way where you have no idea what's going on. Uh, she's got some great thoughts on that, but she's also got some great, just like 
folksy wisdom uh, that I appreciate. I think that uh, <clears throat> Teresa Tamio, one of her favorites is the one about how, you know, she fell in the mud and said, you know, God, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you don't have as many. <laughs> um, but I appreciate St. Teresa of Avila when she said, I only wish I could write with both hands so as not to forget one thing while I'm saying another. Oh, my gosh. I know, right? I wish I had two tongues so that I could do that verbally. I'm not so as that you could I mean write I while you're thinking. Well, I like to write and and consider myself a writer of sorts. I mean, I went to journalism school and, you know, wanted to be in print journalism all through college. Um, but here I find myself a radio person and mm-hmm. so like there that are involves times writing. when I'm talking and I have all these thoughts in my head and as I'm saying one thing the thought the other great amazing thought that I had in my head that I was going to say next just what gone. happens to me often is that I think faster than I talk so I'll <laughs> uh, start building up to the point that I want to make but by the time I get there I forgot mm-hmm. a couple of steps in the process yeah yeah. So, what do you think about this? I I was just talking about this with uh, Father Patrick Briscoe last hour, and unfortunately, anybody that was listening last hour heard that we completely ran out of time to to continue discussing this letter from Pope Francis on Saint Therese. But I found it really interesting the reason that he chose the memorial of Saint Teresa of Avila as the date that he would be presenting this letter on St. Therese, calling her the mature fruit of the reform of the Carmel. That seems to make sense to me. I mean, this is, I don't know. I had to sit with that for a little while, um, that that Therese being the, the mature fruit of the reform and of the spirituality of the great Spanish saint, because what Pope Francis goes on to write in this letter, Matt, is that it's all about love. Um, and and I think that that is so beautiful to think of it as the mature fruit of St. Teresa of Avila, who, you know, you think about her ecstasy, um, that famous Bernini statue that you see at Santa Maria. Um, which one is it? Um, is it Sopra Vittor- No, 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 no. Santa Maria Vittoria. Um, in Rome, where uh, where you see the the angel piercing her heart with love, and and this beautiful mystical experience that Saint Teresa of Avila had, and and Therese just brings it all so simply into well, Saint John does it in his letter. God is, God is love, love. and Anyone and who sometimes loves God and is born of God and who never does not know God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I mean, it's fairly exactly. straightforward. Exactly. And St. Therese knew love. I mean, this is um, one of the things that I didn't get to talk to Father Briscoe about in here was um, he was talking about how she, Pope Francis, that is, was was talking about, I'm trying to find the spot in here. I didn't highlight it. Ugh, I should have highlighted it. But See, um, if only you had two hands so that you yeah, I know exactly. So highlight while you interview. So he he was talking about how um, Therese would pray that the people that she loved, the souls that she loved so much, would kind of be strung along behind her in pursuit of the Lord into heaven. 
and and that she considered it to be one of well one of the reasons that that Pope Francis says it's so fitting that she's patron saint of the missions is oh here it is says the final pages of the story of her soul are a missionary testament they express her appreciation of the fact that evangelization takes place by attraction not by pressure or proselytism it is worthwhile reading her own words in this regard she writes draw me we shall run after you in the odor of your ointments oh jesus it is not even necessary to say when drawing me draw the souls whom i love the simple statement pope francis says draw me suffices i understand lord that when a soul allows herself to be captivated by the odor of your ointments she cannot run alone all the souls whom she loves follow in her train this is done without constraint without effort it is a natural consequence consequence of her attraction for you just as a torrent throwing itself with impetuous impetuosity into the ocean drags after it everything it encounters in its passage in the same way oh jesus the soul who plunges into the shoreless ocean of your love draws with her all the treasure treasures she possesses lord you know it i have no other treasures than the souls it has pleased you to unite to mine what this made me think of matt was a couple of months ago i was at the funeral for my nephew who was just a few months old um just five months old um died in the nicu spent his whole life in the nicu was baptized and confirmed and the prayers at the end at the commendation of his soul i get teared up every time i think about it um were that his his entry into heaven and we are assured of his entry into heaven because he knew no actual sin died in 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 friendship with the lord that that his presence in heaven would make the longing for heaven all the greater in his parents and that's the role of all of us you were talking about with father gavin the role of the body of christ and how we're all in this together we are all saved together and and we can look i mean yeah i guess it would be great if we just longed to be in heaven with the lord and that was our only desire but the fact that our loved ones are in heaven it's okay for us to desire heaven because they are there well i mean you got the head and you got the body the church right Mm -hmm. we're not going up there as separate body parts in soft-sided you know organ coolers yeah right we're going there as the body as the right as the bride well there's much more to say on that i actually got a couple other cool Teresa of avila tidbits after the break excellent so i'll share those it's 17 past support is from solidarity health share do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything even things that violate your beliefs Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. 
That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. He was a Jesuit, a cardinal, and a doctor of the church. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Robert Bellarmine is honored for his immense contributions to theology, including helping to draft two important catechisms that defended church teachings during the Protestant Revolt. Pope Clement VIII named Bellarmine a cardinal because, as the Pope put it, Bellarmine had not his equal for learning. He died in 1621. To find out more about the Doctors of the Church, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. 19 pass. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis has appealed again for peace and at least for humanitarian corridors in Gaza as fighting continues between Israel and the Palestinian militant organization Hamas. Also, during his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis called prayed for the crisis in the Armenian enclave of Nagorno-Karabakh. And in Washington, a vote for the Speaker of the House is expected tomorrow at noon. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning, every weekday morning, every morning of every week that has a day that ends in Y, but isn't Saturday or Sunday. Anyway, that's when you could find the Sunrise Morning Show. A tidbit for you, Anna Mitchell. Yeah, I'm sorry I took over with the St. Therese letter. That's okay. It's okay. What else you got on St. Teresa? I only just got one fun tidbit. Okay, go. So uh, you heard in the promo that St. Robert Bellarmine, doctor of the church, mm-hmm. died in 1621. Mm-hmm. A year later, in 1622, St. Teresa of Avila, doctor of the church, was canonized. She would become a doctor of the church later. Wow. So she was canonized on March 12, 1622, but I want to say... Who else with? Do you remember who with? Philip Neary. Yes. Um, Isidore the farmer? Nope. No? Hmm. Starts Is with it- an I, though. Um, Ignatius of Loyola. Ignatius of Loyola. That's right. And who is Ignatius' sidekick? Francis Xavier. All in the same canonization ceremony. Teresa of Avila, Ignatius of Loyola, Francis Xavier, and Philip Neri all canonized March 12, 1622. Amazing. Big day for the Spanish. (laughs) And the All you holy men and women, pray Pray for for us. us. Soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I am Bishop Roger Foyes of the Diocese of Covington with a reading from The Imitation of Christ. If only I could find you alone, O Lord, and tell you all that is in my heart, then I could enjoy you as much as my soul desires. Then you only would speak to me and I to you as a lover does to a beloved or a friend to a good friend. This is my one desire and what I pray for to be entirely united to you and to withdraw my heart from all created things, that by holy communion and the frequent offering of Mass, I may learn ever to delight in the eternal things of heaven. Dear Lord, when shall I be completely one with you and entirely forgetful of myself? You in me and I in you. I am Bishop Roger Foyes of the Diocese of Covington for Sacred Heart Radio. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Boniface Hicks. He is co-author, along with Father Thomas Acklin, of Personal Prayer, A Guide for Receiving the Father's Love. Father, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Great to be with you. So, prayer and the spiritual gifts... um, this is where people can either get really excited or really nervous, <laughs> depending on your personality type and how things work. But um, we've got the gifts of the Spirit. We've got the fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. We've got all these things where the Holy Spirit, the most mysterious person of the Trinity, is working with us in prayer. So what are some good things to understand in the background so that we know how to talk about the Holy Spirit in prayer? Well, one of the things I try to do in the book, in the chapter on uh, charismatic prayer, prayer in the Spirit, is to try to connect that a little bit more, so to take it a little bit more out of the weird and into some of the principles that we talked about earlier in the book, in terms of the vulnerability, uh, in, in terms of the experience of our own poverty, our own limitations and littleness, and in terms of uh, God's sometimes his hiddenness, and and the way that the, the gifts in the Spirit are another expression or, or engage prayer in all of those same categories. They're not just sort of like suddenly the rules change and they come in from outer space or something. So the uh, openness to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, in His own way, the hiddenness of God. Christ is the revelation of God. The Word is the revelation of God. And there is also a depth of God that is unknown except the Spirit who searches the depths of God. And so... When we, when we enter in, in the Spirit, there, there is something mysterious, but that's because the depths of God are, are also somewhat mysterious. And, and we get to a point in prayer that we can't express everything in words and images, and yet we want to keep praying. And, and prayer in tongues, that sort of ecstatic prayer that uh, doesn't have an intelligible content, as St. Paul says, I, I pray with my mind, and I pray in the Spirit. And he makes it clear that those are two distinct things. They can go together, but they can also be separate. We can keep praying in the Spirit even when our mind kind of reaches its limits, and that's not a problem. Our humanity can't contain the entirety of the mystery of God. And, and so the Holy Spirit works in us and prays in us, and, 
Sometimes that's uh, silence. Sometimes that's tongues. Sometimes that's uh, some other form of, of more ecstatic prayer. So, so the prayer in the Spirit is uh, just an extension of our, our regular prayer life, and, and we allow the Holy Spirit to have uh, a little bit more room there, taking us into places that are a little bit beyond our, our human capacities. Well, I was just thinking uh, as you were saying this, I, you know, sometimes people will look and they'll see TV preachers in a Pentecostal gathering and like people, you know, yelling words that aren't real words, right? And, uh, you know, knocking each other out and dancing up the aisles. And that can be, be the thing that have, people have in their minds. You know, I grew up in the South and evangelicalism and I saw some stuff, man. I saw some stuff. <laughs> it got a little wild, right? Uh, Whereas in the in the Catholic faith, um, all this has to be subjected to kind of the principles we already know about God and and sort of the the structure and framework of what the church teaches about everything else. That's very different than how charismatic prayer ends up functioning in some places outside the church, where there kind of is no sort of regulatory framework for this stuff, and it can get a little bit out of hand, and personalities can elevate things and and it can be much more of a person you know kind of manipulating a crowd than it can be this you know what so often mm-hmm. happens in the charismatics that i talk to who are catholics that it is just them just getting into like a space where they're really truly connecting with god mm-hmm. yeah I, I think even uh we don't have time for the whole story but just to to realize and it's becoming a point of, of ecumenical unity that that the uh, evangelical church, the Pentecostal churches were really birthed by the prayer of Leo the Thirteenth in the beginning of the 20th century. He prayed, and then they began to pray in tongues. <laughs> hmm. And he consecrated the 20th century to the Holy Spirit under the direction of Blessed Elena Guerra, who was uh, a nun, um, wrote to him several times. He did everything she told him to. wrote an encyclical on the Holy Spirit, established a novena to the Holy Spirit, and then consecrated the 20th century to the Holy Spirit, by praying the Veni Creator in St. Peter's Basilica and in Topeka, Kansas, within hours, the the first sort of prayer in tongues took place. So it's a very interesting connection. And then the Catholic Charismatic Renewal was birthed in front of the Blessed Sacrament at the Ark and the Dove in uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, about an hour away from my monastery. And so the, the groundedness in the sacraments and in the magisterium flowing from the, the teaching of the Pope, it's not a it's not outside of that. It's still, as you were saying, subjected to those uh, points of prayer and, and the structures of the Catholic Church. Yeah, it's funny to me that when St. Paul is talking in you know places like 1 Corinthians and he's trying to talk about the goodness of these gifts, he's also talking about them in the necessity of them being somehow ordered towards Christ in a way that does not become individualistic or does not become like a competition about who can speak in tongues the best, you know, <laughs> or things like that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, again, it is, we're dealing with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is mysterious. I mean, we know some things about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit knows and expresses for us in ways that are, you know, kind of, by, as St. Paul says, in groans that cannot be uttered, because <laughs> we don't even know what we're mm. saying sometimes, and we just sort of like, Argh! and the Holy Spirit kind of like, communicates that into something uh but uh father boniface hicks if our listeners want to get your book and read more about this it's a very i think uh interesting and balanced and measured and clear 
kind of unpacking of the charismatic gifts, how do we find your book? Uh, stpaulcenter.com will get you to uh, Emmaus Road Publishing and Personal Prayer, A Guide for Receiving the Father's Love by Father Boniface and Father Tom Ackland. And hopefully we'll get into some more aspects of charismatic stuff here in the coming weeks. Thanks so much, Father Boniface. Have a great day. You too, Matt. Great to be with you. Again, if you go to sunrisemorningshow.com, you can find Father Boniface. And in the show notes, you can even find a link to watch a video stream of the show. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Pope Francis is appealing for humanitarian corridors in Gaza as Israel moves closer to invading the Palestinian enclave. During his Angelus address yesterday, the Pope asked the children, the sick, women, and all civilians not be victims of war between Israel and the Palestinian militant group Hamas. The Holy Father also repeated his call for Hamas to to release the hostages its fighters captured when they attacked Israel eight days ago. A spokesman for the Israeli Defense Forces says Hamas is putting Palestinian civilians in Gaza in harm's way. More from Mark Mayfield. Speaking on ABC's This Week, IDF Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner said Hamas has set up checkpoints to keep Palestinians who are in northern Gaza from evacuating to the south. Israel ordered those in the north to evacuate as the IDF prepares for an expected ground attack. Lerner said Hamas has no regard for human life, regardless if it's Israeli or Palestinian lives. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has asked the faithful to fast and pray for peace in the Holy Land tomorrow. In a statement, Patriarch Pierre Batista Pizzaballa said, In this time of sorrow and dismay, we do not want to remain helpless. We cannot let death and its sting be the only word we hear. Meanwhile, also in his Angelus address, Pope Francis prayed for the Armenian crisis in Nagorno-Karabakh, also known as Artsakh. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. In addition to the humanitarian situation of the displaced, which is serious, Pope Francis said he would also like to make a special appeal for the protection of the monasteries and places of worship in the region. And he expressed his hope that they can be respected and protected as part of the local culture, expressions of faith and signs of fraternity that make it possible to live together despite differences. Pope Francis's appeal to Azerbaijan to protect houses of worship in Nagorno-Karabakh comes as Russia has urged new peace talks. But Armenian refugees are reluctant to return to an area they called home for generations. I'm Linda Bordoni. In Washington, a vote for the new Speaker of the House is expected tomorrow at noon. House Democratic Whip Catherine Clark said the vote for Representative Jim Jordan will happen, but it is still unclear if Jordan will gather enough votes to secure the position. While the GOP holds a slight majority in the House, only four votes can be sacrificed for him to win the gavel, and some Republicans have said they are firmly against Jordan. A second vote took place after Jordan secured the nomination on Friday, with the total coming up so far well short of the 217 votes he needs. Meanwhile, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries says Democrats are willing to work with Republicans on a solution to the chaos surrounding the position of Speaker of the House. 
Trey Thomas reports. Jeffrey said on NBC's Meet the Press that there have been informal conversations about a bipartisan governing coalition. It's time to end the Republican civil war so we can get back to doing the business of the American people. He said the House needs to vote on bills that have substantial support from both sides of the aisle. I'm Trey Thomas. Those who lost loved ones in the Parkland, Florida school shooting believe some good will come from visiting the scene of the tragedy. About 200 people walked through the building at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School one last time on Saturday before it's demolished next summer. The mass shooting left 17 dead and another 17 injured on February 14th, 2018. And Rangers starter Jordan Montgomery and the Texas bullpen shut down the reigning champion Houston Astros for a 2 to nothing win in Game 1 of the ALCS at Minute Maid Park yesterday to lift the Rangers to a 1-0 series lead. The series will continue with Game 2 in Houston this afternoon. In the National League, the Philadelphia Phillies will host the Arizona Diamondbacks for Game 1 of the NLCS tonight at Citizens Bank Park. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35, Pat. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. St. Paul believes that the highest and greatest action of a person is to love. Fame and wealth and power all fade away, but love in the end remains. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is one of the most famous writings of St. Paul. In it, he writes, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. We hear this passage most of all at weddings, but do we ever stop to recognize how hard it is to love this way? If we look at our lives, it is a lot harder to live love than it is to speak about it. Love means the cross. Love means sacrifice. Paul also admits that our love for God and one another is imperfect and frail in this life. Love requires on-the-job training. Love requires making a selfless gift to God and others every day. May Christ teach us a little bit more each day about love so that the ideal given to us from the heart of St. Paul becomes a reality for us in our own hearts. Sunrise Morning Show legal and political analyst Ken Craycraft is back with us now. He's a professor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary. He writes for the Catholic Telegraph and our Sunday Visitor, among other publications. 
Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Annie. Nice to be with you again. It is nice to have you back. And we are going to be talking about issue one here in the state of Ohio. It's a proposed amendment to enshrine abortion in the Ohio Constitution. And the Attorney General of Ohio, Dave Yost, put out a legal analysis of this proposed amendment recently, basically laying out how he sees it, how how current law would be changed if issue one were to pass. What stood out to you in his analysis, Ken? I think the most the thing that stuck out the most for me in his analysis is something that, to be perfectly honest, I had not really thought about myself, mm. and that is the effect that issue one will have on all sorts of existing laws. So not only and I've written about how it will prevent the legislature from making certain laws. We already know that the heartbeat bill is on hold. But what uh, what the attorney general of Ohio does, and this is a, a good lesson for other states that are considering such things, is it has all kinds of implications for all kinds of other laws that are already in effect in Ohio, including about chemical abortions, about uh, parental consent, about waiting periods, um, and, and, and also regulations related to just health and safety in, in, uh, in clinics, including abortion clinics. So the effect of non-directly, uh, non-abortion laws in Ohio uh, is, is, could be profound or would be profound if this um, if this amendment one passes because it's going to cut the teeth out of a lot of laws that are that are on the books merely to to protect the safety of patients not just in the abortion context but in other contexts as well so what struck me the most and I think that he the attorney general of Ohio did a wonderful job in laying this out is the way that if uh, issue amendment uh, if issue one were to pass, the way that it would affect a lot of other laws in Ohio uh, and and just throw. Um, I mean, you know, as an attorney, I mean, I won't be involved in any of this litigation, but uh, he's uh, you know, the issue one is doing a, a great, uh, a great service to the attorneys because there's going to be a lot of litigation if it passes. Right. I mean, Ohio, assuming that issue one were to pass and um, we should note the bishops of Ohio have been incredibly outspoken in um, in in urging voters to vote no on issue one in November. Um, but if it were to pass, I mean, this is not it's not like these laws would be automatically invalidated. No. This would basically embroil Ohio in all kinds of lawsuits for years to come. Is that right? That's exactly right. Oh, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. The law itself, the issue one itself, by its own terms, is self-executing. In other words, if it passes, it would go into effect that day, literally that mm. day. So to the first the first Tuesday after the uh, first Monday of uh, November. But all of these other laws that it affects will be subject to litigation because it doesn't wipe those laws off the book. It merely uh, throws into doubt how they would work. And so what you would have are pro-abortion groups, interest groups, the way that pro-abortion interest groups have come into Ohio uh, to put this issue on the ballot, would start litigating all of these other matters as well. And that's why I say, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a litigator's dream in one sense, because it's going to cause a great deal of, of litigation and many, many lawsuits related to these other things. And, and I think that what would happen here, and this is, this is a hypothetical that I hope never comes true, is if it were to pass, I think we would be, uh, many people in Ohio would find out very quickly that those of us who have been saying that this is an, a, an unbelievably extreme issue uh, on the ballot will we'll, we'll see that we were right, that, that it, the way that it uh, takes away the rights of parents 
uh, to counsel their children and to approve of, of medical procedures and and the way that it opens the door for not and not just uh, medical uh, procedures related to abortion or contraception any but medical procedures related to so-called gender affirmation care or gender transition care all of these things that we're saying right now this issue will take away parents ability to to um, supervise their own children their own minor children as an example and and the litigation will start uh, as soon as it passes and, and this will be one of the issues because of the language of the amendment can you talk more about that because i have been wondering this ken from a personal standpoint um the the vagueness of the language of issue one and just how readily um litigators as you were saying will take advantage of vague language to push these issues that you know if you if you listen to um to the ads and mm-hmm. the people who our who are pushing issue one for instance and i've seen stories mm-hmm. on this saying this is not extreme you know these people they're fear-mongering and and all of that but is it realistic to believe that that uh that a litigator is going to come at like say i don't know the aclu or something is going to come after ohio almost immediately on things like parental consent and and the like uh, it's not just likely; it's certain because what will happen? And because you have you have the what what you have here. And first of all, the extremists are on the other side. For example, just as a parenthetical, I heard a commercial the other day that said if issue one fails, that a woman in Ohio will not be able to get care for her miscarriage. It's a flat out outright lie, Annie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and of course, you know, it's 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 built on a uh, my my kids love the movie Elf. It's built on a throne of lies. Uh, the the issue. Uh, but but yes, it will. And the reason it will, Annie, is because of the vagueness of much of the of the language of the amendment. And again, that's on purpose. The the vagueness of the language is on purpose by the people who want this bill to pass or this issue to pass, precisely because it opens up the possibility of litigation and the possibility of gutting other Ohio laws. So, for example, it talks about pregnant individuals or any individual rather than uh, any individual majority or any adult or any any person over 18. Uh, it talks and, and it won't it doesn't even use the word woman and it uses the word individual, which opens the door for all kinds of um, uh, shenanigans about uh, uh, transgender issues and, and other things like that related to the kinds of surgeries that would typically be related to contraception, but which can easily lead to by logic uh, surgeries that have nothing to do with contraception and everything to do with so-called gender affirming care, such as a hysterectomy on a minor. Mm. That that could be comprehended by this and the ACLU and other groups are going to come in and litigate and say that it does comprehend those things. So yes, you're exactly right. And the vagueness of, of the terms of the amendment are precisely, the purpose of the vagueness is precisely to allow those types of things. Well, thank you so much, Ken Craycraft. And he has a piece on this over at the Catholic Telegraph. You can go to thecatholictelegraph.com and uh, read the whole thing. So really appreciate the thoughts on this. Of course, please continue to keep Ohio in your prayers in our our local hour, which comes up right after we uh, finish up here in uh, the EWTN hours on the Sunrise Morning Show. Every day we've been praying a novena prayer that the Ohio bishops uh, put out for Ohio. 
ahead of the November elections, 54-day novena. So please pray the rosary for a culture of life all across our country, but in particular in Ohio as uh, we face this November vote. Coming up next on the Sunrise Morning Show, Stephanie Mann joins us to continue our series on Father Bowden's book, Mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors. Hope you can stick around. It's a quarter till. Are you looking for peace, longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. The EWTN on-demand platform features 50 new podcasts every week, as well as an ever-expanding library of audio and video content. For Catholics who want to learn more about their faith, simply using their mobile device, computer, or TV, your favorite EWTN programs are available 24-7. Visit EWTN.com and click On Demand. EWTN is the global Catholic network. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Jimmy Akins here for two hours of open forum. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Twelve minutes before the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. Pope Francis is appealing again for humanitarian corridors in Gaza as the fighting continues between Israeli Defense Forces and the Palestinian militant group Hamas. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has asked the faithful to fast and pray for peace in the Holy Land, particularly tomorrow. And in Washington, a vote for a new Speaker of the House is expected tomorrow at noon. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Stephanie Mann. You can read her blog, which is named after her book, supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. And we've been doing a series on Father Henry Sebastian Bowden's book, Mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors. You can find it through Sophia Institute Press. I've been learning a lot from Stephanie through Father Bowden. Stephanie, good morning. Yes. 
Good morning, Anna. Good to talk to you. It is good to have you. So as we continue our series on these stories, one of the the striking parts of, of Father Bowden's book is that we're not just learning about the martyrs of England and Wales, but also the confessors. And we have one of these confessors today, his name, Cardinal William Allen. And he gets three entries by my count in Father Bowden's book here in October as uh, his death day was October 16th, 1594. So who was Cardinal Allen? That's right. Well, he was almost one of the most essential men that uh, helped prepare Catholic men to go as priests to the missionary field that England was, mm-hmm. especially during the reign of, of Elizabeth I, but, but going on. And he was a, he was born and raised a Catholic in England during the, and lived during, during the reign of Mary I in, in Oxford. He, in fact, he was a fellow at Oriel College, which was also Newman's College, where he was uh, a fellow in the 19th century. And uh, he was very uh, de- devout Catholic. And he realized, saw the, of course, the change from Mary I to Elizabeth I convinced him that there was going to, there was going to be a great missionary field in England, mm-hmm. and he tried in, before he was ordained as a priest to aid Catholics in building up their community. And then he finally left England and became a priest. Uh, it, actually, he was ordained in, in Mechelen in, in Belgium, what is today Belgium. And then he set out to form a program to prepare priests to go to England and serve as missionary priests under, you know, very different circumstances than most priests had ever served before. They wouldn't be in parishes. They'd probably be on their own most of the time. They needed very different tools. I mean, uh, they probably did not study St. Thomas Aquinas as much as they Mm -hmm. studied more controversial works because they needed to be prepared to debate like St. Edmund Campion did uh, on the matter to defend the truth of the Catholic faith. They needed to be prepared to be alone. And so they needed, uh, he uh, really encouraged the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola for them Mm -hmm. to have that kind of that resolution and that way of looking at the events of Christ's life through, you know, that the method that uh, St. Ignatius gave them. And, And they, they, New English, they, they could preach in English, they could use the same terms, uh, theological terms in English. So he really prepared them in many ways to do the work that they needed to do in very special ways. And he's been praised for this by many of the authorities I've read. Uh, Eamon Duffy in one of his works says that he uh, prepared the, the, kind of gave the Catholic Church in England an institutional basis a lifeline to the larger word of Christendom. And because of that, English Catholicism survived, even under the terrible uh, persecution of the Elizabethan era. I mean, this his importance just cannot be underscored enough when it comes to the the men that he formed to head over to England to minister to these people. I find it interesting. One of the things that I love about doing this series with you, uh, Stephanie, is that on your blog, you go back and and do some more research to get a little mm-hmm. more meat on the bones about um, about these people that are are featured in Father Bowden's book. He doesn't always go into to great depth about their stories. Right. And um, so can you talk about what was was um, Father Allen or Cardinal Allen's take 
on the wave of Protestantism that that swept across England. Yes. Well, he thought that much of it, the reason that Protestantism, Anglicanism was succeeding in England was because because it was the law. (laughs) You either you had a choice and many chose to conform to what the the establishment wanted because that way they could be part of the establishment or be freed from oppression from the establishment and so he believing also believing that that the catholic church is the true church established by jesus he was con- he was convinced that the tide would turn and that england could return to its catholic faith through these the ministry of these uh, men and 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 when you say the great men he prepared I mean this is Saint Edmund Campion Saint uh, uh, Robert Southwell but so mm. many of the really great saints that uh, and martyrs that are included in the forty martyrs of the of, of England and Wales uh, and so it, just the fact that he prepared them so and that he I think also inspired the the laity to see that these priests were coming to them, those Catholic laity who were trying to remain true to the religion of their fathers, the faith of their fathers, that they could could sustain and they could survive. And so, yes, I think that's that's one of his great importances. He believed and there's sometimes that there's some criticism of him that, you know, he he believed that it it could even survive a Spanish Armada. (laughs) And I don't know if you know if that political view was true but sure. he really believed that the truth would win yeah. basically and so he wanted to prepare these men and uh, uh and uh, this community to survive the horrible oppression of that era so that they could i mean i guess you could say that's why the, there's a catholic church today in england is because of this long period when these men and and the men and women who supported them were able to maintain the faith, even you know even though it was a toehold on the people of of England. And so yes, he's he's just so essential. Yeah. The I and just... yet, it, yeah. No, go ahead, please. Well, and yet his great regret was that he had prepared all these men, and he is the the words that Father Bowden highlights his last months in deathbed. He said that Douay, the one of the seminaries he'd established, is as dear to me as my own life, because next to God, it has begun the it has been the beginning and ground of all the good and salvation which is wrought in England. Wow. And as he was dying, he said the greatest pain he had was that after. By God's help, he had induced so many to endure imprisonment, persecution, and martyrdom in England. He had deserved by his sins to end his life in Rome on October 16, 1594. Wow. So he regretted that he had not, for all his service and all of the good he'd done, he regretted that he could not give his blood for the church and for Christ's church. Though in he certainly gave his life for the church, uh, nonetheless, yeah. if not even if not martyred. I love the verse that Father Bowden chooses for this entry, 1 Corinthians 4, 15. For if you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, by the gospel, I have begotten you. We've been talking about the mementos of the English martyrs and confessors by Father Bowden with Stephanie Mann. Find her linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Stephanie, thank you. God bless you, Anna. Thank you. You too, Stephanie. Thanks. All right. Talk to you tomorrow, EWTN. May God bless you and keep you. Grant you his peace.